Support for Oyster World Radio comes from you, our listeners. If you would like to support the show, visit the link in the show description or visit patreon.com forward slash oysterworldradio. For only $5 a month, you get all of the behind-the-scenes coverage of how these random interviews materialize, plus some travel tips. So don't miss out and support the show today. More support means meeting more people that you would normally never meet, less travel headaches while you're on the road, and you get to learn the ins and outs of everywhere I go. Become a Patreon and an expert traveler at patreon.com forward slash oysterworldradio and support the show today. Welcome to Oyster World. Oyster World. Radio. Hello, Oysters, and welcome to another episode of Oyster World Radio, the podcast where we broaden our perspectives by listening to the stories of people from all over the globe. I'm Nathan Lieberman, and in this episode, we bring on Adam McIntosh. I missed Adam by a couple of minutes in his store in Edinburgh, Scotland, but I'm glad that we had the time to connect because his life, man, is, it is a model of what can happen when you take some chances in life. He sounds like Superman when he tells his stories, always fearless and never wavering. But what I love the most is his explanation that it was not easy to get over that first hurdle, that first mental hurdle when your brain calculates endlessly all of the awful things that can happen. It sucks, but Adam shows what can happen once you get over that hurdle. And I think it's best to let him explain it himself. So pour yourself a scotch, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Adam McIntosh. Can you hear the house creaking? I can't, which is good, but hopefully it adds some uh, good amb- ambient noise in the background. Yes, uh, make it some, make it interesting. It's uh, eighty miles an hour winds predicted, so. Uh, really, this is a this is a serious storm. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm uh, I'm not looking forward to to, to tonight because. Uh, um, yeah, trying to sleep when the whole house is shuddering is, um, is, is, is hard. <laughs> Do you have a lot of faith in your, in your treehouse? It's been here for 12 years. Oh yeah. So you have a lot of faith. In your <laughs> yeah. But, but still, when you're trying to sleep and the house is creaking, it's a bit crazy, but it's all good. Yeah. That's a little yeah. scary. Well, I'm glad that I hit the report <laughs> button a little bit earlier. Adam, welcome to Oyster World Radio. We're really excited to have you on. And like we were just saying, you're preparing for a storm coming directly for your treehouse in which you live, right outside of Edinburgh, Scotland. Are you nervous at all? <laughs> um, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm nervous, but uh, um, th- there is moments when branches land on the roof and uh, kind of wake you up in the middle of the night that make you a little bit nervous but um it's been here for 12 years so i'm confident it's okay yeah i'm sure that would be pretty nerve-wracking but 12 years is a long time you're good plus you built the thing so it's got to be sound yeah it's got to be sound yeah yeah we've had quite a few parties up here with uh, a lot of people so if it can withstand those parties it can withstand any storm how big is the treehouse can you give us a It's about five meters by four meters, which is pretty small, um, but it's on an organic farm. And, you know, we have a, a bath outside that we light a fire under the bath. We've got, you know, a, a little greenhouse. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, there's, there's a lot of area around the treehouse that makes it comfortable. Yeah, definitely. And you're, you're an outdoors guy. And the one thing that I really did love about Scotland is 
they have this free the freedom camp policy but there seems to be an underlying freedom to the entire country where people really help each other out especially when you get out of out of the city and neighbors are helping neighbors and the farm that you're on you said was a friend of yours that let you build the tree house and some other small houses too so it seems like you have a little community around you too yeah, there's, there's a nice community here. And like you say about Scotland, there's no there's no law of trespassing in Scotland. So you can walk onto any property and you know have a walk around and no one can do anything about it, um, which maybe sucks if you're a landowner. But, uh, you know, for the, the amount of people who, who live in Scotland who actually don't own the land and the land is owned by wealthy Germans or Americans or Japanese people, you know, it's kind of nice that even if you don't own the land, you can still walk and camp wherever you want to go uh, do what you want to do yeah and uh, we, we did a little bit of camping in the highlands and we ran into that where we went to we actually were walking through some of the lands but they like helped us They're like oh yeah no this is my land but go ahead no problem and then yeah, yeah. back there just to make sure you know and take your time it's a beautiful place i love it it's great yeah, no, uh, no private keep out signs here yeah and of course edinburgh is one of my favorite cities in the world it's it's a wonderful, wonderful place, and it's the beginning, or part of the beginning, I would say, of your story, which I think we should just go ahead and get right into, because we got a lot. We got a lot to cover. My God, this is going to be fun. But you're originally from Scotland. You were born in the Edinburgh area? Yeah, I was born in Edinburgh, um, but my parents were working in the South Pacific, in Papua New Guinea, Fiji, Vanuatu, Solomon Islands. So when I was a small child, we left Edinburgh and we moved out to New Guinea where my mum was working. Yeah, and so in that part of the world is a wonderful tropical place, almost jungle-like. And you're you're a young young kid that was exposed to Edinburgh and Scotland, more of a Western culture, and now get to see another part of the world at a young age, which is probably really exciting for you as a kid. Do you remember any th that move? Do you remember what you were feeling like during that time? No, I, I don't remember a lot about Papua New Guinea, but I think it's inspired me in a lot of ways with different things later in life. Because I remember, you know, in Papua New Guinea in the, in the 80s when we lived there, you know, people were still trading in what was called money. And money yeah. was basically a, a shell bracelet a calorie bracelet, and they would use that as currency. And some of the most expensive shell bracelets you, you, you could buy would have plastic strips coming off them. And it's because plastic wasn't even basically introduced to New Guinea yet, but it was washing up on the shores as, as like fertilizer sacks from Australia. So the locals were thinking, oh, you know, what's this crazy new seaweed that's growing here? Let's chop it up and make it into to money because no one else has got it. So I think that kind of thing from a, from a small child, the fact that you could find things on the beach and, you know, make a living out of it and trade out of it and, and getting that inspiration. Um, and also the fact that I live in a treehouse, you know, that probably was inspired by Papua New Guinea because there's tribes in New Guinea who still to this day live in treehouses. They, they, they believe that there's evil spirits on the ground and, you know, they, they need to sleep up high at night to be away from the evil spirits. Yeah, so it did have an influence on uh, like on your, your future ideas and craft the life that you have today. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, without even knowing it, it's definitely inspired me. Yeah, and what did your parents do while they were working there? 
my, my parents were doing sustainable uh, um, setting up uh, hydroelectrics for villagers who don't have any electrics. Um, and my mum was working as a nurse as well. And just just it was small scale projects to try and get people in the developing countries just to kind of get them on their feet and, you know, have the basic basic amenities for life, really. Yeah. Can you can you walk us through a day in your life at that point? Did you go with your parents to the oh, tribes I, to help or was it all new? Was every day just completely different? Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't remember, like, specific days from when I was a kid. We went back out there when I was 12 years old. Um, and, and I remember more about that. I remember, like, going to Fiji and having these um, kava ceremonies where you, you, where you drink this mild... Um, uh, I don't know what is, is it? it's not narcotic kind of gets um, but yeah and uh, yeah I remember certain things about you know going back out there but but nothing not like a typical day as such yeah yeah so it, it was just a a day was could be anything it was almost an adventure uh, uh, yeah. yeah yeah sure yeah. which sounds great as a kid yeah. growing up as a kid having oh, every yeah. day just be something new and meet interesting people with interesting projects and make yeah, it. Yeah, so you, you, you have a little white guy with a blonde hair surrounded by kids running around in grass skirts, you know, so I, I'm sure, you know, as a, a popular kid in Papua New Guinea, because everybody, everybody wants to play with the little white kids, so. Yeah, that's true. But then, so you, and you were going back and forth between um, Scotland and Papua New Guinea, and then around the time that you were 14, 15, you came back to Scotland for for the last time. And that's when it seems like things started to, to roll for you. you. You built the treehouse, which probably had some influence from your bringing up or the time that you spent in Papua New Guinea. And uh, you got a lot of publicity for that because that was a pretty new idea, I guess, living in a treehouse. Yeah, and I think it was also the, the age, you know, I was 14 years old, uh, uh, I built a treehouse um, on this little farm where I, I still live to this day. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it was quite different for people to, to have a 14 year old boy living in a treehouse. And uh, um, so I, I ended up, uh, a newspaper contacted me to see if he could run a story on it. And I was like, yeah, sure, no worries. And and just on the side, I kind of cheekily asked, oh, did I get any commission for running this story? And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, you know, so they paid me out like 50 pounds. I was like, wow, you know, 50 pounds, that's not bad. Uh, so then I'm... Um, 15-year-old, heck yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah, sure. But then, you know, with, with that 50 quid, I, I bought a surround sound stereo system. And then I called up a, another magazine and said, hey, you know, I live in a treehouse and I've got a surround sound stereo system up here. Oh. And I'm like, huh? Oh, we've got to do a story on that. So then they paid me, you know, a hundred pounds, and then, uh, then I, you know, got a kitchen sink in there and a little gas cooker, and then I called up the next newspaper and said, "Hey, I live in a treehouse, and I've got a kitchen and a stereo system up here." And and before I knew it, you know, Good Morning America with flying a camera crew over from New York to do a feature on it, and you know, um, it was it was all over a lot of media channels, and and you know, I I, I used a lot of that money to to go off and travel around the world. Yeah, and build your treehouse. It seems like you got a lot of cool things in there because people were interested in this treehouse. Yeah. So yeah, but like you were saying, this also tra the, the fueled your your future travels. And it's this this time period, as we were talking before, and for most of the world, is a crossroads and a major decision in your life that can have entire life ramifications. It's 
the the college years do I go what do I study what do I want to be what do I want to do and you you were in those crossroads as well kind of that gray area and you wanted to be a marine biologist but what happened then so you you were sitting at this moment watching a lot of your friends go to university living in your treehouse making a little bit of money but you decided not to do it so what was going through your head at the time that you made that decision well, yeah, like um, I, you know, I, I was still living in the treehouse, going to to school in Edinburgh. Um, but like you say, a lot of my friends were kind of faced with the kind of automation of what you're going to do with your life. You've got to make the decision now: are you going to be a doctor? Are you going to be a lawyer? Are you going to do it? And I, I just said to the, the lady at the the school, the um careers lady, I said, "Hey, I've got no idea. I, I want to go hitchhiking around the world." Yeah. So you know, uh, at the end of the year. They, they printed up a paper with like all the information where all the, the students were moving on to study and there's just a big blank space under my name. Um, and, and then, yeah, you know, that's, you know, I didn't, I wasn't ready to make that life choice of, you know, what I wanted to be. And, and like I said to you, I, I had this thought of being a marine biologist because I thought it was swimming with whales and dolphins. But then I realized it was more about sitting in front of a computer and analyzing data. And I was just like, no, that's definitely not for me. So um, so I took off hitchhiking around the world. And a lot of people are really scared of that blank space under their name or not having some kind of direction. What what was going on in your head to kind yeah, of well, keep with that? I think, yeah, I think people are worried about that blank space because of the pressure from their family. You know, the, the, the family is, has pushed for them to get, you know, the, the right grades and being, you know, get the exam results and... And then you get to that age and, you know, you need to really kind of show your family that you, you're, you're good enough um, and, and you can progress. And so I think that's where people's worries are coming from is that, you know, they, they want to show that they, they've qualified in some way or another um, and, they're, and they're good enough. And I was just like, you know, hey, I'm 18 years old. The world's my oyster. Let's go for it. Yeah. Uh, did you have any pressure from your family as well or were they pretty okay with the fact that you wanted to go and do your own thing no no they, they definitely encouraged me to to take off and go yeah yeah and i i love that i love what you said because it it's it's a tough decision and the more people i talk to the more people i have on this podcast the more i realize how big of a problem it is because either people have no idea and they are constantly switching back and forth on this huge decision or they change their careers five years down the road anyway to something completely yeah, different right. once they have a little bit more experience in life. And, yeah, but then they, they change their careers and they might be still in debt from their university studying something that they didn't even really want to study. Yeah, exactly. So, and then you get caught up in this cycle of, shit, I've got to pay back my debt now and I want to study something else. And then you're stuck in the job. You can't really do anything about it once you pay it off. Well, then you get to 70 and you're like, well, I've got lots of money. I better spend it now. Yeah, but it's probably too late at that point. You have two new <laughs> hips and a new knee, and it's probably hard oh, to get on a plane it. at that point. That's but, it. So yeah. you didn't do that. It seems like more of a logical decision. You didn't know what you wanted to do, and you wanted to explore more of life before yeah, you made sure. a huge decision. Yeah. So you went on the road. You took... 200 pounds, a guitar and a didgeridoo, which is a very interesting combination, and you hit the road. Yeah. So um, I actually wrote to quite a few companies in Scotland as well and said, hey, remember me, I'm the boy in the treehouse from the newspapers. Do you want to sponsor me? 
So I actually got quite a lot of sponsorship, not not financially, but with gear. So like a, an outdoor company sponsored me and then a, a kilt company sponsored me and gave me two kilts and said, you know, wear these around the world. And and then, you know, a, a Scottish shortbread company sponsored me to make sure I'd always have snacks with me on the road and they'd send out parcels of shortbread to me. And so I, I approached companies. I got some sponsorship. I... I got a guitar. I didn't even know how to play the guitar. I just thought it would be a really good prop for hitchhiking. Um, <laughs> and then I I enjoyed playing the didgeridoo. And, you know, the didgeridoo was going to be my kind of source of income as I traveled. And then, yeah, I, I headed off and um, packed my bags and, and went off to uh, Cape Breton, east coast of Nova Scotia, east coast of Canada in, mm-hmm. in Nova Scotia. And I went and stayed with a Native American tribe there called the Mi'kmaq tribe. And uh, I stayed there with a gentleman called Chief Stone Eagle, and it was him who actually gave gave me the, the name that we used for our company further down the line, and that name was Two Skies. And what uh, Chief Stone Eagle said is he said that it, it's not within Native American culture to travel so much. You know, you might travel seasonally. You might go from the coast where you'll harvest fish, and then you go inland and pick some berries and things, but you don't go off around the world. So he said, because that's quite unique, he wanted to call me Two Skies. And he said, because I'd always have a sky looking over me in Scotland and a sky looking over me as I traveled. So yeah. I, lived, I lived with Chief Stone Eagle for a while. And then I set off down the east coast of America, um, busking in New York with my didgeridoo and, and then just traveled from there. And wow, that's a lot to unpack, too. <laughs> so so let's back up just for a second. And I... The fact that you, yes, you you did get sponsorships and you got some gear, which is good, but leaving with no source of reliable income, it will probably stop 99.99% of people from even attempting what you did. What do you think was the difference for you? Just the fact that, you know, you've been able to survive on not very much or? I, I, I didn't have the money and I wanted to go. And I, and I think the thing is, I'd already told my friends that I was going off around the world for two years. You know, so because I'd already told everyone, I couldn't ban You had to go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, some no, social recognition, the accountability. You had to do yeah. it. You'd have a choice. Yeah, and I got, all, I got all the sponsorship and told everyone I was going. Um uh, and, and yeah, I was scared. I was really scared. Um And, you know, I, I remember even like, I remember going to pubs and then people, you know, offering to buy me a pint of beer. And then I just tell them I didn't drink because if they bought me a pint, I'd be in this situation that I'd have to buy them a pint back. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't have the money to spend in pubs. So I, but I wanted to hang out there because that was the, the, like the social environment to hang out in bars. Um, so I just tell people I didn't drink and, you know, I'd have a, 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 a I'd carry around a bag of porridge oats and every morning I'd cook a, a huge big bowl of porridge oats that cost me maybe about 10 cents to to, to make a bowl of porridge oats mm-hmm. and then I'd eat bananas for the rest of the day yeah and it's just what was it just the the fact that you kept moving I mean because obviously it's pretty overwhelming all of the different variables that run through your head of all the possible things that could happen to you on the road but it seems like okay problem number one you know I I have to go where am I gonna go you got to you got to Canada. 
You stayed with a Native American tribe. How did you stay with a Native American tribe? I guess we can tackle that first. Um, did you did you research about them first? Did you? No, my, my dad. My dad is a, an environmental campaigner, and he heard of a tribe in North America that was struggling with land rights. And my dad is very passionate about land rights around the world. Mm-hmm. So he went over to to Canada to help them, you know, uh, protect their land, and in return. When my dad was campaigning against a super quarry being built in a remote area of Scotland, he brought this Native American war chief over to Scotland for publicity to stop the super quarry happening, and they managed to stop the the, the quarry. So, um, so yeah, I I had a connection there with the Native Americans through my father, um, and and that's how I kind of got in, in there. So, but in terms of traveling with no money, you know. You know, when you when you put yourself out there on the road hitchhiking and you have everything you need in terms of I had my tent, my sleeping bag, you know, I, I, I was free to go wherever I wanted to go. And I think that really strikes a chord with a lot of people who just dream of that freedom. So, you know, when I was hitchhiking, um, you know, people were picking me up and just saying, hey, buddy, come home to my house. You know, my mum will cook you a meal and uh, and then we'll send you off down the road and you can go and stay with Aunt Betty. She lives two hours down near Boston, you know. So uh, so then I'd get Aunt Betty's phone number and I'd get close to Aunt Betty's house and I'd call her and say, Aunt Betty, I'm stuck. You know, I'm in the dark. You know, there's no one picking me up and she'd come and save me. And, and, and then it just kept on going from there. You know, people would kind of take me in and. And I tell them my story of, you know, I'm, I've got 200 pounds and maybe it was 150 pounds by now. But, uh, you know, uh, it just it just worked. Yeah, it, it is amazing the generosity of people on this earth, especially I think a lot of people assume that most most people are bad. But it's absolutely yeah. not the case. The way that people can open up their doors and give everything, even though even stuff that they don't have or can't afford to give up, they'll offer you. And yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Was there a moment for you when you thought, okay, I'm going to be okay? Was there ever a, a switch? Was it when you first stepped off uh, the plane and met the Native American tribe? Was it when the cascade effect took hold and you started meeting people and going to new yeah. places? I think it was the first day hitchhiking. So like when I went and stayed with the Native American tribe, that was already organized. I knew exactly where I was going. I had a bed. But then also this was... This was middle of February um, in one of the worst winters Nova Scotia had had. You know, it was um, minus 35. Yeah, minus 35 degrees outside with a wind chill of minus 15. Um, It was so so cold and so so snowy that the snow had covered the power lines and people were getting electrocuted by walking into power lines. Oh, my God. um, (laughs) So, you know, when I I stayed with the, the chief in Cape Breton, you know, it was it was easy going. But then, you know, when I decided time was up and I wanted to keep on traveling, you know, that first day hitchhiking, that's when I saw that, that you know, I, I could have faith in the, the universe because I kept been helping me out. And, and you know, within, within that first day hitchhiking, I met a guy who ran a, a snowboarding mountain and he took me up and gave me a three day snowboarding. And then, um, and then his family put me up for a week, and you know, I just snowboarded for a week, um, and and then they drove me to Boston. Um, so so you know, uh, you know, it just it just worked. It is. It it's amazing, exactly how it does work. How it yeah. does work, and the fact you, you're going snowboarding, right? You're 
getting introduced to a Native American tribe. You're wandering down the the east coast of the U.S. It's it. Yeah. There is a there. It, there's something about that, you know. It, when you have all your basic needs covered and that's enough, and you have all the other time, mental resources, physical resources to just see, explore, it it's pretty magical, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's one of my favorite things to do is a uh, is a is a hitchhiking holiday. And even now, we're we're you know both me and my wife were financially sound. You know, still to take off and just rock up somewhere and stick out our farm thumbs and and see where we we'll end up. You know, it's it's a really fun thing to do. Yeah. And okay, so let's let's fast forward a little bit because. Uh, part of that, you know, is figuring out, like you just said, where we're going to go, what we're going to do. And eventually your travels led you to Australia, the other yep. side of the world, where you got introduced to gems and gem jewelry. And that was a big moment for you. That was a big turning point because uh, did you know about gem carving, jewelry making before? Or was this the first introduction to um, these gem miners? Yeah, as as a child, I always had a, a gem collection, um, you know, so I was always interested in, in, in rocks. But like you say, when I was traveling around Australia, I met a, a gem miner. He was an, an opal miner, and he had done very well in the opal business. And basically, for the price of a beer, he just put all his rejection in a sack and just said, you you know, I can have it. You know, good luck with it. So this was coming to this was coming to the end of my kind of two years trip around the world when I was starting to think about going back home and, you know, I, and I'd met a lot of people on the road who were kind of, they'd travel around with some beads and some, some necklaces and, and they'd go from town to that town, you know, selling their, their necklaces and, and their jewelry. So, you know, I, I took inspiration from that, but, you know, I'd never made jewelry before. So I, I took those opals home and uh, the first thing I did is I went into a really high end jeweler in Edinburgh. And I went in there in my, in my bare feet and with my, my, my ripped shorts. And uh, I was like, hey, buddy, I've just come back from Australia and I've got a bunch of really nice opals. And uh, um, and he just said, hey, we we have our suppliers and we're, we're not interested. I was like, uh, yeah, but you, have, you haven't even looked at them. And he's just like, you know, he opens the door for me and kind of, you know, shoves me out the door kind of thing. So, you know, I, I you know. I didn't know a lot about the, the gem industry, so then I took those opals and uh, I, I drilled holes in them and put them onto cord and I, I sat on a, on a blanket on the Royal Mile selling these opals. Um, and uh, I didn't realize how high value stones they were and the fact that I shouldn't be drilling holes in them. And then <laughs> you didn't know, you had no idea. Well, you know, uh, and you know, I'd, I'd sell a few stones every day and, and make a bit of cash. And then one day, you know, a guy basically came along and, and, and took the whole lot off me. And I was like, oh, you know, I've got more at home. I could uh, drill some more holes in them and bring them tomorrow. And he's like, no, nah, you know, I'll just take them as they are. Yeah, yeah, so, you don't, know, don't I think, drill the holes. Yeah. Yeah, I think he appreciated the the value in these gems that I had, so he 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 took as many as I had, cleared me out, and then with that money, I then then I, you know I thought you know it's a good way of making money and to be able to travel. So uh, so with that money, I, I bought a, another round the world ticket and set off around the world again to some different countries this time uh, with a bit more money in my pocket uh, to to buy and source gemstones. Yeah, and that was the beginning. It was just this little idea, this little tiny idea that it wasn't even an idea. It was just serendipity. It just just came. 
Yeah, that, that's pretty amazing. And I, I don't want to talk about myself too much, but I had a similar experience in New Zealand. We ran across this little town in Hokitika where I fell in love with jade carving. And it was just, I kind of had a similar story to you. I, I always had a rock collection, loved rocks, but that was kind of beaten down by life and all of the responsibilities that I had. And it was like my childhood coming back. Just yeah. seeing how they carve jade and the Maori culture woven into each piece. And I'm, was that a similar experience, too, when you started to go to all these gem sourcing nations? Was it a tie to your childhood in Papua New Guinea and more of a spiritualistic part or maybe just like a more childish part of you? Or no, I think every country was different and every gemstone from those countries were different and every every miner and person collecting them was different so you know it wasn't so much you know a similarity to things that happened before it was just you know everything was still new at this stage and just so fascinating so yeah, yeah a, new fire, a new talent that you could create a new skill that you could cultivate sure yeah, yeah but also i had a round the world ticket and i was stopping off in like 10 countries so i couldn't blow my budget in New Zealand on jade or PowerShell, you know, I, I bought a little bit of jade in New Zealand, jade and PowerShell in New Zealand, but then I kind of moved on to the next place and the next place and Indonesia, the Philippines, um, Thailand, India, you know, so, you know, so I, I was still, you know, I was still limited on my funds and, you know, um, and I was still, you know, hitchhiking and, and camping because every penny I spent on a hostel or a, a hotel could be an extra 10 or 20 dollars spent on on gemstones yeah so you saved it for what was important you you yeah, saved it for the project and you knew how to do that you knew that you didn't need any of the flashy hotels whatever to get the job done yeah 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 what was your during that time was there a moment of just pure excitement when you like what was your biggest find what was the best time that you had with the miners did you know that you were on the right track? Do you still know that you're on the right track, I guess, is another good question. But what was a moment of just pure excitement as you started to build? Yeah, like, uh, it's, it's funny because, you know, there's excitement when I was at some of the mines and I was, I was cracking open stones and thinking, shit, this is a really good stone, you know? Yeah. Um, a lot of those really good ones, I, I kept them for my own private collection, and I look at them now, and they're shit, you know, because <laughs> because you know I, I I've I've moved on so much in the in the gem industry that you know the, the stones that I first collected or made into jewelry back in the day, you know they're hideous, you know um you know some of my first jewelry designs were just you know I can't believe that people bought them. Um, you know, I, I'd have these moments out in these countries where I'd, you know, come across some incredible things and get so excited, and then the miners are telling me it's shit, and I'm just like, buddy, if this is shit, what do you call the good stuff? Yeah. You know, uh, and, and then then later I've learned what the good stuff is and uh, and the prices that it goes for. Yeah, and it was just, but it seems like such a, I don't know, elegantly simple, but fun life that's full of new adventures almost every day and is sure. that what it continues it, to be or does it wear off after some time i don't know it, it, it continues to uh to be that but then also i feel like i've come the full circle whereas you know when i first went traveling i was wanting to go to every country looking for all these gems 
But I didn't really understand what my market was for retail. And then uh, it was only later when I started, you know, finding stones in Scotland, people were coming up to my market stall and said, hey, I don't want to buy a bit of turquoise from Arizona. I want to buy a, a Scottish stone. And then that really kind of hit base to me. And I was like, OK, right, I need to look for more stones here in Scotland. So then I really kind of developed our kind of market for Scottish gems and Scottish gemstone jewellery. And we're now the, like the world leader for Scottish gemstone jewellery. But, you know, uh, but the, the thing is, is that, you know, I still really want an excuse to go off to South Africa or go right. off to the Philippines or go off to India. You know, uh, and but my market is all wanting Scottish gemstones. You know, so I've come, come full circle to find out, actually, there's so many gemstones right here on my doorstep in Scotland that I can really utilize. But now I'm desperate to, to go off to all these countries again and have some reason for going off to these countries. Right. How do you balance that? How do you balance the the work, money, financial part of your life and the adventure part of your life is, is there a design balance or do you just go yeah. on trips when you need to no just now i'm definitely sacrificing um the kind of the first for traveling for, for the, the success of the business i was doing right and my commitments to the business and my responsibilities to the business are you know are, are massive you know so just now i i, I can't even though financially I could justify going off to Brazil and looking for gems, you know, for for the return of it on our business, I, I can't justify it just now. So it's, 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 you know, a lot of businesses are like that. You know, you get kind of smothered by your own success in a, in a way. And, and just now we're maybe at that stage. And um, But then that's all part of it. Yeah. And are you okay with that? Is that something that... that it did, you know. I, I do. I enjoy doing what I love, and I, you know, I don't work in an office. Actually, I do work in an office. <laughs> <laughs> but, but and we're realizing it right now on the online. <laughs> I don't mind working in an office because it's uh, it's our office and it's uh, doing doing what I enjoy doing. But um, I certainly spend more time sitting in front of a computer answering emails than I do time spent going out looking for gems but you know that, that's all part of it so it's all yeah. part of it so yeah it seemed and it comes full circle so you have this business the two skies you've grown it from the serendipity of a hitchhiking trip throughout the world into the world leader in scottish gemstones and of course all the changes that come come with that but i guess to to wrap it up because here we are today and you have all these things that you've built and you're continuing to build them in the direction that you want to, living probably what modern Western culture calls the holy grail, working for yourself, doing what you want to do when you want to do it sort of thing. But for anyone out there that's listening, that, you know, is at is at a crossroads like you were when you started taking your first trip or thinking about doing something a little bit crazy in an attempt to not only improve their lives, but do something that they really want to do, but are scared of the money or is scared of disappointing their parents or any of the other pressures that we've talked about. What would you say to someone listening right now that's in that situation? You know what I'm going to say. <laughs> I wanted you to say it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I think the, 
if you get to the age like 70 or 80 and to have regrets thinking what if I did do that and you know what would have been the outcome if I if I if I did do it you know I think that's really sad and, and I think you can always fall back on what you were doing before you know so I think it takes a lot of balls to just kind of give up what you're doing and uh, and just kind of follow your your kind of gut instinct and, and and go for it you know I remember I remember when I first got that flight to, to Canada and uh, I left home you know I was feeling sick in my gut you know I was like physically really feeling sick I, I was that scared of what I was doing well that went away you know and uh, and I, I think you know to just get over that first hurdle and, and I think the easiest way to do it is that way that I did it where I told everyone what I was going to do before I did it you know because then I was committed you know, so and it's easy to just spout off in the pub to your buddies and oh yeah, I'm going to leave my job tomorrow and I'm going to go off and uh, hitchhike around the world for the next two years, you know, and then and then you you can't go back to the pub the next day and say to your buddies, oh yeah, I changed my mind, you know. So yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I think just that's half a battle is just kind of getting the announcement out there that you're going to make that change and you're going to go for it and. Uh, and then, yeah, just run with your gut instincts. I love it. But then, it's, but, but then it's not for everybody, you know. It's, it's you know, I, I, I'm a people's person. I, I like chatting away to people, and uh, and then, you know, I think that's why I, why traveling works well for me because you know people enjoy having a, a chat. But you know, not everyone's like that. Oh yeah, I think that's also a very important part of the process. Is that you're not going to hit. A home run on every single attempt that you you make sometimes you're going to realize that oh this is it for me but that's also probably equally if not more important than finding the stuff that you really love because then you know this ain't for me I yeah can, sure yeah, yeah. Move in a different direction so yeah. i i love it i love the message and yes i force that out of you but it's very it's very good to hear because i i know a lot of people listening are are stuck at the crossroads and want to make a change but it it's it's hard at first like you said that first hurdle is yeah, by yeah. far the hardest but once you clear it then anything can happen Literally yeah sure and i think um uh, a very good country for that inspiration um you know I, I i love india and and the reason i love india is it attracts the type of traveler or the type of tourist who doesn't go to thailand who doesn't go to you know, Corfu in Greece, you know, they go to India because they're looking for something a bit different. But then you meet all these really inspirational people who are kind of traveling around the world, either making their money online doing things or doing craft markets or face painting or or even just selling some drugs on the side, you know, it, yeah. it, you know, the, the, a bit of everything, you know, yeah. just to, you know, fund the, their own desirable lifestyle. And, you know, I love India for that reason, that you, you meet these really refreshing, kind of inspirational people. And, and yeah, some of them might be a bit smelly and be a bit shifty, but, you know, they're, they're, they're still... And so are you, so it's okay. Well, like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's really great advice. And, and you're right, India is definitely... It'll make you grow up, but... Oh, it, right it, yeah, it, it, it puts life in perspective, definitely. Yeah. And, and then if you think you've got things hard in your current day-to-day -day life, you go to India and then you're just like, okay, 
you know, life isn't so bad after all. Life is actually pretty damn good. Yeah, I didn't know it before, but it's pretty you know, good. <laughs> tell you in India when you can live for a dollar a day and you get three meals and, and a beer. Yeah. <laughs> My God. Yeah, like kings. You live like yeah, kings. Like kings, yeah. But Adam, thanks so much for coming on and um, sharing your story with us. It's been one hell of a ride for you, and I hope that it continues being the ride that it is. But uh, to find you and your business, Two Skies, where should we go? Uh, currently, we're rebuilding our website, but it'll be Two Skies uh, Scott when we when we rebuild it. But we also sell on Etsy, um, Two Skies Scotland on Etsy, and uh, and that's you know. All our kind of latest finds, you know, we kind of test the market on Etsy with them. Um, so Etsy is a platform for people who, who have craft businesses. But often, you know, I, I find a new gemstone and I just want to get a kind of feedback from the, the world audience of what they think of it. So I, so I list a few things on there and kind of then I decide if we're going to go into kind of production with that gemstone or or if it's not interested enough, then, then I leave it. So so you can find us there online, or we also have, have our retail shop in Edinburgh on the Royal Mile called Two Skies. Yeah, so it's a great opportunity to go to Edinburgh, a great city, and find the Two Skies store, or guys, go to Etsy. I know that we got some Scottish listeners out there. I mean, America has so much Scottish blood. Why wouldn't you want a gem gemstone from the place where your heritage is from? So go to Etsy, Two Skies yeah, Scotland. And That's our, our largest market is North America, and it's exactly that. It's those North Americans who are who are more Scottish than the Scottish. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not joking. You ask a guy from Detroit, you know, where he's from, and he can tell you all about the Scottish history for the last 200 years. And then you ask a, a guy from Glasgow about the Scottish history, and he says, he tells you the football results. <laughs> what happened at the bar last night? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, pe people from North America, they just love our stuff because, you know, it is genuinely and uniquely Scottish and it carries such a, a, a genuine story behind it as well. Yeah. And I know that I'll be on there looking for, because, of course, I have some Scottish heritage, too. So got to get something. And I'll be there. I hope that everyone listening checks this guy out. He has an amazing story. And so much more that we didn't cover. But Adam, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. And we'll talk again soon. No worries, Nate. Thanks for having me. Thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of Oyster World Radio. And thanks again, Adam McIntosh, for coming on the show. Check out Two Skies Scotland on Etsy or twoskies.scot for all of the gems. Keep up to date on everything going on in the Big Sabbatical on Instagram at Nathan.Wanders and the blog of my partner in crime, Jackie Gishbacher at GishOutOfWater.com. Check out the links in the show description for more information. Special thanks to Charlie Milliken for all of the Oyster Jams. Check him out on Spotify or at CharlieMilliken.com. That's M-I-L-L-I-K-I-N. Don't forget to support the show on Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N at Patreon.com forward slash Oyster World Radio for only $5 a month. You get all of the behind the scenes plus some unique travel tips, so don't miss out. Thanks again for tuning into Oyster World Radio. We'll be back in two weeks. But until then, this is Nathan Lieberman signing off. I can't take control of my life If I'm too busy looking at the stars And thinking about all time that's gone by oh.